This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries, and today we have a special guest. Her name is Cindy Carter, and she is a field chief information security officer at a company called Checkpoint. And according to their website, Checkpoint has been the 22-time leader, according to Gartner, for firewalls, among other accolades and awards. She has a wealth of experience serving as a CISO or similar role for over 15 years, it looks like, in cybersecurity. And if you want, you can find her at many speaking engagements like the official Cybersecurity Summit, Secure World, among others. Just Google her name. You'll find her. That's Cindy with an I. Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Albert. It is a pleasure to be here. All right, let's get started, just like we do with all of our shows. For our audience that may not be familiar with Checkpoint, can you give us a quick rundown? What is Checkpoint? What does it do? And we'll dive into sure. the industry, your role, and so on. Of course. Well, our official name is Checkpoint Software Technologies, because really, although, like you said, Albert, um, we have um, been known as a firewall company for many, many years. Our founder and CEO, Gil Schwed, is the some people say godfather of the firewall, but we have so many more capabilities that protect organizations locally or locally and globally um, with their cybersecurity needs. We cover everything from the network, the traditional firewall and everything in between there, as well as uh, organizations that are looking at a cloud first strategy and moving operations into the cloud, as well as end user experiences, endpoint, uh, email security. And then, of course, let's not forget to finish out the entire life cycle of all of that. All of the support, the um, managed detection and response capabilities and things like that, that you need to sustain your security operations. Yeah. And for yourself, you know, you sit at this high profile position, you do a lot of speaking engagements. You know, we've had multiple cybersecurity guests on our show, you know, and we understand that you have a bit of a specialty specifically in healthcare. So what is unique in healthcare that requires a little bit different attention, let's say? So there there really are um, some uniquenesses when it comes to healthcare. And I, I'm just returning from the uh, HIMSS Cyber Health uh, Care Forum in Boston uh, as of last evening. And it was all clinicians as well as cybersecurity leaders and practitioners that we're really talking about how we're solving some of the same challenges that many organizations are seeing when it comes to cyber threats and, and how to protect themselves and even more importantly, how to prevent it from happening to begin with. Mm -hmm. For yourself, give us a little background. What is happening? I guess, you know, you mentioned some of the uniqueness to it. You know, I'd love to understand or our audience understand a little bit of the differences and kind of understand what is happening that in this field that maybe they may not be as familiar with? So when you think in terms of um, healthcare, right? And when you think in, in terms of, okay, well, high-tech organizations, right? And, and many of us, when we think of technology, right? We think of the Microsofts or the Apples or the Googles and all of those, those super high-tech organizations, Amazon even. Um, but a lot of people don't necessarily equate high-tech with healthcare, but it's absolutely there. It's been there for several years. And it's been there in everything from medical devices all the way to the electronic health record. And when you're talking about healthcare, you're talking about people's lives. 
a lot of us have had focus um, initially in, in um, years past in financial services, right? Because that's people's livelihood. Sure. In any time a financial institution or financial services organization was compromised with a, a security incident, that was all over the news. People were losing money, although you know many of those things are are typically addressed. But there's a lot of attention towards that, right? And there's been a huge amount of regulation in the financial space around cybersecurity and everything else in between to protect those organizations and, and people's investments. But when you stop to think about healthcare, this was back several years ago, but there actually was an executive order that was signed by our government, Executive Order 13636, write it down, and that actually put healthcare as part of this nation's critical infrastructure, along with the other things that we take for granted day in and day out, electricity, water, those utilities, things like the, the, the gas pipeline, everything else in between like that, that we rely on on a daily basis. Healthcare was also placed as part of our nation's critical infrastructure. But healthcare has very often lagged behind in being able to put some of those, those innovative technologies in place. And then, of course, the being able to enable that in a secure way. Now, I think as, as we look forward, and I know we'll probably talk about this a little bit, Albert, you know, what are we seeing going forward? What are some of those predictions in 2023? The uniquenesses within healthcare are at the at the end of the day, the electronic medical record contains the, the most richest information, the most uniquely identifiable pieces of information about a human being mm. besides their own fingerprint. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. So there, you know, in addition to just the, the, the institution itself, the healthcare institution itself, the employees that work there, the clinicians, everyone else that, that is, is part of that organization. Now you've got people's medical records and, and, and think about what would happen if that data were to become compromised. What if your blood type were to get changed? What if the allergy reactions that, that someone that you love was changed and all of a sudden they were given something that could be, could be deadly to them? So the awareness is there and I am so excited about where we are going to integrate cybersecurity into every single clinical and and healthcare innovation decision that's being made. Yeah, that is the way you just described that is, you know, this, in, and I want to relate it to something that's very timely, how critical our society depends on infrastructure and how certain things need to exist. And a lot mm -hmm. of times you might not recognize it, but if you take it for granted uh, and if it's taken from you, it's very quickly identifiable how dangerous it is. This so has true. happened in North Carolina recently, uh, not a healthcare attack, but there was someone who shot a substation they use gunfire on a substation, which has put basically electricity down in this entire community. There is no way to get these parts in place. Right. And one of the biggest things that they said right out the gate, critical infrastructure was the hospital systems. Yeah. And basically all of these people. So it's not even they you need a machine, like you said, like some people need a machine. Uh, maybe you have dialysis, critical medical needs. Uh, you might be on life saving equipment. But then they were saying like, no, they don't know how to treat anything because they can't look up anything. They have no evidence of anything. They don't know. Like um, if you were to say, hey, I'm on medication, they wouldn't even be able to say like, oh, you have uh, already are prescribed a certain medication. Like this is not mm -hmm. a good fit. And so this town 
in North Carolina is being basically forced to vacate. Like they, they, they can't live there. There is no way to live there. And, it, and it's, right. it's, it's from electricity. And you just start realizing like, to your point, of course you can attack critical infrastructure, electricity, but effectively, like you're saying, your medical record is now it's, it's critical infrastructure too. Do you, do you, is that happening? Do our, I guess foreign agents or anybody, are they trying to attack and erase or change this data? Is it just people trying to steal data or like you guys don't really know? You just know that people are trying to get data and you guys got to stop it. Well, I, I don't like to go too much to the dark side of things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we do live in a, a dark space sometimes when it comes to these conversations. Yeah. But that's the reality of the situation, right? Um, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, that medical record is rich with information. Think about it. It's not only got your, your basic demographics, it's got your date of birth. It has your social security number. It has your insurance information. It has that personal information about your blood type or your allergies or what medications you are taking. Um, it also has financial information. You may have a credit card on file to take care of those copays. So it it's just, it's it's an easy it's an easy target when you think about that. There's there's that type of information that is readily available at those cyber criminals' fingertips. And it can cause, you know, whether whether they're looking for financial gain or they're just looking to cause disruption, you know, the, those motivations are are different and similar in so many ways to any of the other attacks that happen in other industries, right? Um, but when you take it a step further and you really think about um, dare I say the word cyber warfare, and you really start thinking about um, the the physical side of it, right? Human beings' lives are at stake now because of what could happen if a medical record was tainted electronically, and then or, or you know compromised electronically like that. So that makes total sense. I agree. We don't want to over harp on the fact that the re- that's the reality of the world we live in. There are going to be cyber attacks. People want information. So let's turn to something that we can do, what we can do about it, and which is how do we stop these things? Because one of the things about IT visionaries, which we are privileged to, but it's also kind of narrow in focus, is that we typically talk to people in tech companies, which probably as a whole, maybe have a culture more aligned towards having a secure infrastructure, doing more secure things, more people uh, you know, using password tools or 2FAs. But what I know about other fields and healthcare is going to be one of them is that that's not their primary focus. Their primary focus is typically taking care of patients. So uh, good cybersecurity hygiene and practices like, yeah, I'm sure each hospital has got a team or whatever, but that's probably not top of mind for everybody. It's probably not a cultural top of mind thing for all the team members. So when you work with these groups or you're talking to these groups, how do you convey how to solve and protect their systems and infrastructure. Because like we said, it's not really like their focus. I was actually on a panel where we talked about clinical perspectives in cybersecurity. And it's, you know, when I thought about that, all three of those words haven't been in the same sentence for a long time, right? And sitting on either side of me was an internal medicine doctor and a pediatrician. And we had the most engaging, well, at least from my perspective, we had the most engaging conversation. I hope the audience felt the same way. But it really, um, to answer your question, Albert, there's there's a lot of things that we can do now um, when it comes to really integrating cybersecurity and this technology innovation into what a healthcare practitioner does on a day-to-day basis. And there's there's a lot to unpack here. So I'll I'll try to I'll, I'll try to be as succinct yet uh, give 
enough detail behind each of them. But one of them, first and foremost, and I love to use medical analogies, um, is, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Mm. So we talk in terms uh, in the industry about, um, well, how do we stop these attacks or how do we defend ourselves? How do we become resilient? But if we really step back for a minute, when you think in terms of resilience, resilience takes you back to the state that you were before that negative event happened. Don't you want to come back stronger than you were before? You and your CrossFit buddies can have a conversation (laughs) about that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I love to have this conversation with folks around going beyond resilience and really doing this thing called anti-fragile. And there's a book author, his name is Nicholas Nassim Taleb, and he's the author of the book called Anti-Fragile. And well, I may not agree with everything that is in the book, I, I always am inspired by, by topics like this. And I'm always inspired about how can I weave it into not only the conversations that I have, but in things that we can do collectively together. And when, when he describes that whole plateau of resilience and where, yes, you know, in, in many organizations are doing a fabulous job of resilience. And I don't want to downplay that. But when it comes to that negative event that happens that takes your resilience to the core, right? And it, and it tests everything um, that, you've, that you've put into place. And you, you may think, okay, well, I had my backups. I was, I was able to restore or, um, you know, we were able to take things offline in, in time so that no further damage was done or whatever the case may be, whatever that, that um, uh, incident response was. But when you're resilient, it really is the true, pure definition of resilience is you return to the state that you were before something happened. And he is all about in his messaging about how do you come back better, stronger than you were before. And that's where anti-fragile comes into play. And I love that because I think that it really does have a lot to be said for that preventative aspect of medicine, right? We all know we should eat, right? We should drink plenty of water, we should get our exercise, um, everything in balance. I'm a lover of chocolate. I won't deny it. You know, I've got my little sweet tooth and things like that. But do I eat chocolate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Of course not, right? Because I would probably look like, you know, uh, a Mounds bar if I did, right? <laughs> so everything in moderation, but that preventative aspect of medicine, of course, is doing the things that you can do to take care of yourself, take care of your families. So that you don't end up um, having to seek medical care. Now, we know accidents happen all the time, but look at some of the preventative things that we've done in medicine, even since um, the, the first smallpox vaccine or polio vaccine was created, right? That's preventative medicine, that it's preventing that from happening over and over again. We created anti-fragility in our entire bodies by building up those antibodies so that those things don't affect us, right? That's a perfect example. And we can do the same thing with our cybersecurity systems. And the conversation that I was having with these two gentlemen was really all around integrating cybersecurity into everything that the hospital healthcare organization does, Mm. instead of it being that afterthought, instead of bolting it on. I always say secure from the start, right? Every conversation should have a security person at the table, not only at the table, but their voice, and not only being able to say things, but that it's heard and it is put into into action. 
And we have to be careful with that, though, because there's that concept of security and usability and clinical workflow that has to be considered. Yeah. And many of the organizations that I've worked with in the past actually hire clinicians on their on their technical staff so that the technical staff can understand that workflow and that the clinicians can then understand the technology aspects. And what a great partnership. So the optimist in me, and I am, I am an optimist. I, I do feel that we are ripe for a lot of really great things that are that are going to continue to happen in healthcare and how we're going to be able to keep things safe. When you were saying that, I was replaying in my mind when my wife was giving birth and there was a person trying to enter her medical record in and you know she's in tremendous pain and frustrated. She didn't want to deal with it. And I'm just imagining a hospital with cybersecurity practices where it's like they have two FA codes and someone's like waiting for their code. You got a patient screaming at you like, hey, right. I need help. And it's like, well, the my I haven't got my two FA yet. I can't lock in and do anything. Give us an example of like the dip, like that is a, to me, in my mind, I was like, I just came up with that. And I don't even know that's actually the problem, but uh, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, if that was true, that would be a problem because we've all been there. Everyone right. I know has been there where you're waiting for your 2FA code and it doesn't come. It doesn't come fast enough. Or, um, and of course, in healthcare, there's way more high pressure situations where getting access to information is probably mm-hmm. mission critical. Seconds are critical. Um, give me an idea of, you know, you said anti-fragile, anti-fragility. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a it's an easy thing to say. It's one of those things easy to say, hard to do, right? So give, give me an idea of give me an idea of some things that are being applied. Sure. And and a lot of that to um oh goodness, this is a lot to unpack. Um, you know, when you think in terms of the patient care model, think think about what the pandemic taught us, right? Um, and the fact that care now moved from the four walls of a healthcare clinic or a hospital to way more distributed healthcare, right? Telemedicine, telehealth, that took a a massive increase over the last two years, right? People Mm -hmm. being able to just enter into a portal, right? And then to be able to speak with a clinician or their physician about, you know, even a wellness exam or a wellness checkup or if, you know, Hey, you know, my, my, my head feels like it's ready to explode. I've got, you know, the sinus thing happening and and they go over your symptoms with you and things like that, that distributed care model is, is also something now that the cybersecurity is right along, right along there for it. Think when you, when you, as a patient have to log into that portal, I always think of course, because I'm in the business that I'm in, but all right, what is behind this, me logging into this portal? I'm I'm thinking about um, is it a secure transmission of me entering my my name and my credentials? Is is my information going to the person that I intend or the place that I intend for it to go? And I worked I once worked at a company that that was one of their um, their flagship items was this patient portal. And from a cybersecurity perspective, it hadn't been thought about during the software development side of that portal being created. So we had to go back and re-engineer and re-architect a little bit and start really thinking about um, what does that software development lifecycle look like to embed security in there? Mm. Because we can't, we can't have a, a, an at-risk portal out there for in this type of information to be transacted back and forth without putting the right security measures in place. And, and it, it took time. 
I will tell you that these things don't happen overnight. This integration of cybersecurity into that clinical workflow, and even in this case, this visit to an engineering workflow, right? This was already tech, but it wasn't something that the software developers were used to doing every day, right? They they have to get those code releases or those features and functionality and things like that out every two weeks, right? Deliver, deliver, deliver. Add value, add value, add value. And so we started a process by which we broke down all of the different um, areas that were involved. We got everybody in the room, everybody at the table, because a lot of times the person sitting next to you had no idea what you were doing and what dependency or Mm -hmm. um, even downstream uh, relationship that you had with each other. And so we started to uh, talk in terms of, you know, but before a new feature or functionality or product or anything is a twinkle in a product manager's eye before that first line of code is even written and before it's released into production. And then you start that, that life cycle of support around it. We have to think holistically about what are we going to do to wrap all of this with security so that it's, it, it, it doesn't create friction. And same thing with that clinical workflow model. That's where I mentioned earlier, we brought those clinicians, those practitioners to the table with us to talk about um, what, what would this multi-factor authentication look like for us? What would be an acceptable delay in being able to ensure that, yes, you are the right person that is logging into this information to do this treatment, to make these decisions, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll, I'll just finish with this because I know that we could probably spin off into a lot of different areas here. Um, but when, when you do stop to think about uh, what, are, what are the cybersecurity organizations thinking about in this, in this space, this is where we, we've done a terrible job of branding this and it's called zero trust, right? Mm-hmm. And I, the reason I don't like that term is because to an end user who may not be technical, who may not have grown up in cybersecurity, it's like, well, wait a minute. You trust me to do my job, right? I'm I'm yeah. here trying to treat people. I'm trying here to save lives or or make their their um their life better. But yet there's this th- thing called zero trust. You don't trust me to do my job. Well, we have to think about this as just trust, right? And so that's where we go back to that drawing board and we we talk with the, the groups that are involved about where does the data come from and where does it need to go to and what kind of data is it? And who should have the different levels of access to that data along that data's journey? It's really understanding the business of your data, whether it's healthcare, financial services, or anything else in between. Yeah. And bringing the people that are the users of the data, the consumers of the data, the processors of the data, the, the people that support the data on their journey, bringing all of those people into the room together, just like we brought the clinicians together with cybersecurity, is really how we're going to we're going to make this happen. When I think about the amount of integration that has to happen in a modern hospital system that you're discussing, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just different. You know, it's fundamentally different. So it is. when I think for, for us to like, let's use some examples for our audience. You know, like when we, if, if you're using a service, like let's say you're going to your um, let's use e-commerce to start. Uh, if, if I'm a shopper and I shop online, really all I need is the portal to work. The, the, right. the, the seller needs to make sure their inventory systems work and their shipping mm-hmm. systems work. And that's fine. But a hospital is a collection of devices. All these devices have different manufacturers. They're all collecting data on its patients and across different records. 
It also relies on software front of, I would say like the intake software is also a system that knows how many patients are occupying which rooms, which facilities can handle you, right? So if you, like when my wife comes in, like obviously if I need an OBGYN or whatever, you know what I mean? Right. And you think about all these things that have to talk together. And what I've learned about the healthcare system specifically is kind of like this, you kind of talked about this, let, let's get together. It's like, there is no like standardization. Like, you know, Siemens is going to make their machines one way. Uh, you know, Epic's going to make their system another way. And you're just hope, like someone, it's usually like a third party from my understanding, like has to come put it together because these hospitals don't actually have people on staff that like are designed to integrate all this. Uh, so if, for anyone listening out there, hospitals are mostly implemented by a third party. Like it's not the hospital itself integrating systems. It's like my friend Brantley down the street. He's a CrossFitter. He <laughs> works for a head, but they integrate hospital systems, which is, I was like, right. well, how many things need to plug in? And we just kind of going through it. I was like, holy all cow. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they all need yeah. to plug in. And, yeah. and that really, yeah. I, I love where you're going with that too. And you, you touched on some of the manufacturers and things like that. And you know, when you think about the investment that healthcare organizations have, or even even any organization nowadays, e-commerce, you know, with with um, you know, RF guns scanning things in, you know, you, you see your Amazon person drive away, they've taken the picture, they've scanned that delivery, you know, all of those those little touch points, all of those devices, that internet of things, that internet of medical things. Yeah. They've made huge investments in those devices and healthcare, especially, right? You think about an MRI machine. You think about um, some of the the blood machines that the lab uses to separate the plasma and do all the, the good things there. And some of those things were never intended to be connected to a network. Think about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to add to your story. My friend, he owns a forensics engineering um, company and they do, uh, they actually do accident reconstructions to figure out like, could this have happened or not? Yes. And he has a CT machine. And I said, well, how much is a CT machine? He said, well, I bought it used. It's a great deal. I was like, oh, how much is it? He's like half a million. I was yeah. like, what? I was like, what? And then he showed me the file sizes, like one CT scan occupies. He had to buy new computers just to handle them. So to your point, if you're going to get the machine, create the electronic file, then you got to transfer the file. It's probably going to go through a new system, right? It's probably, that's why, so most people don't realize this most, that's why most hospitals have to get networked because the files they move right. are ridiculously hot, huge. Like they can't rely on Wi-Fi. It's not, it's not a thing. Like it's got to be networked. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. So what I was saying is like, when you're not in it, it's hard to think of like all like maybe like the gaps or the things that need to work together. Mm -hmm. And so when you're working with these teams, do they kind of understand why they need to do this to make sure the information transfer is secured or do they kind of come in like, uh, you know, unfortunately the reality is like sometimes the cyber people, the security people, it feels like a big brother. Like it's kind of annoying. Like, oh, I don't really want to do this. Like Cindy, you're telling me I got to do all this stuff. Like, uh. I love what you just said there. Do they know why? Yeah. And I think, um, I think that that's where we have an enormous opportunity in cybersecurity and in information technology. Um, I think that we have an enormous opportunity to really, instead of leading with the what or the how, we need to lead with the why. Yeah. Because, you know, think of every five-year-old that asks the question, why, why, how, why? how old is your baby why? now? Why? Well, I mean, your... she's eight. <laughs> oh, she's eight. Okay. So think she's about when, when she was five or even younger than that. And it's why, 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 right? Think about oh, yeah. kids ask that question all the time because 
Because why? They seek to understand. They don't understand yeah. the world around them yet. They don't have the experiences yet that, that life gives them. So we need to do the same thing from a cyber and from an information technology perspective and really lead with why. Why is this important? Help them understand the journey that that data goes on from that, that, that patient encounter, from that experience. Um, help them understand Obviously, they they see it in the news all day long as well, but they need to understand why their particular healthcare system could be vulnerable to a certain cyber attack. And once you help people understand the why, the what and the how becomes so much easier to implement and so much, much better. You have a better um, collaboration around how to solve the problems because it really does take people process and technology. I'm sure Albert, you've heard this yeah. from all the folks that you've talked to. And we actually just talked about it. Well, people are the weakest link. No, 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 no. <laughs> I do not agree with you. I am going to go on record. I absolutely do not agree with that statement. I think that people are our greatest asset. They are our greatest strength. And we have the opportunity to educate them, tell them the why, help show them the why and help give them the knowledge that they can confidently make the right decisions when they're handling that sensitive data. They are the front line. They are the, the absolute the people are our strength. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> now that's good. That's good. I, I love it with a little positivity. You know, one of the things at the top of the conversation you talked about was like, Hey, you, th you personally, or whether your company, or it's, you can tell me it's a company prediction, like that your company's betting this way, or it's you personally, you're betting this way. Tell me some of the things, because you kind of alluded to at the top, that you think some things are going to change in 2023 and maybe 2024, like in the next few years. Uh, what do you think is going to change in your field over the next few years um, that hopefully you're, I mean, you're a positive person, so that you're excited about like, yeah, this is, this is going to help transform this industry. So it, I, I talked a lot, uh, not only just uh, at the event that I was just speaking at, but just in general with other chief information security officers, CIOs, CTOs, and anybody else that'll really listen. Um, but you know, we, we talk a lot about when you're creating a, an IT or an innovation strategy, or you're creating a cybersecurity strategy. And it used to be where we had like this two to three year sort of midterm plan, and then you would have your long-term vision like out five to seven years. Well, that five to seven years stuff, <laughs> technology changes so rapidly now that those strategies, those cybersecurity strategies don't even exist yet, right? So yeah. we have to create a future that doesn't really quite exist. You know, we, we, have to, we have to protect a future that doesn't yet exist. Yeah. So how do, we, how do we embrace that? And how do we, how do we ensure that we're, that we're setting our organizations, whether it's a healthcare, financial institution, manufacturing facility, and and whatnot, how do we set them up for success? And one of the things that I think, and, and again, along with people, process, and technology, one of the things that I've talked about my whole career um, is, is this concept of technical debt. You may have heard this term before, right? Those investments that these healthcare organizations have made in equipment that's you know, 25, 30, even 40 years old that was never intended to be connected to the internet. But guess what? Um, yes, they, they, they are um, unable to be patched, but there are compensating controls that we can put into place in order to protect them. Um, we, we think in terms of how complex our, our world really is, but when you think about technology and you think about those smart refrigerators or your smart thermostat or your smart cars, 
And we think about how much easier life is, right? But at, at the underbelly of all of that, there is an integrated system of, of technology, of, of cybersecurity, um, helping to enable that. And so I think when we think about the things like the technical debt, there are so many technical and cybersecurity capabilities that organizations have that they, number one, may not even have fully implemented. Mm. It may still be collecting dust on the shelf, right? <laughs> or number two, they may have implemented it, but yet they haven't even configured it properly for their environment. And then number three, okay, it may be implemented, but who's watching what it's doing, right? Or it may just be sitting there outdated, unpatched, whatever. So I think in, as we move forward in 2023, you're going to see a lot of that complexity in IT and, and the cybersecurity fabric start, start to become simplified. Um, back even just five years ago, um, when I was working in a healthcare financial institution, it was all about, well, let's get the best of breed, right? Let's get the best mm. anti-malware. Let's get the best firewall. Let's get the best um, endpoint protection. You, you get my point. And then you end up with this boatload of cybersecurity and technology tools that this, the security team, as well as the folks on IT, have to support. And it, it, there's like most organizations have more than 40 capabilities that they have to support. Think about that. 40 capabilities when you're dealing with a team of maybe like one or two people. Yeah. That's a recipe yeah. for um, becoming anti fred or becoming, um, what's the... What's the anti-anti-fragile, right? Just fragile. <laughs> yeah, that's the recipe for fragility. Yes, thank you. My gosh. I think I need to eat lunch. My brain is starting to misfire the neurons. Um, You're all good. But that, that, that is a recipe for that, right? And, and I, I think about my security operations team in an example like this, where we were managing more than 40 or so different security capabilities. And I mean, these folks had... Um, you know, you, you said you had like big screen monitors on your desk there, as most people do, right? They had three yep. of those 24-inch monitors stacked on top of each other. So they had six total, right? And then each one of those monitors was subdivided into, you know, probably six different windows. So, and, and they're, you know, their eyes are on this all the time, trying to look at, at all the blinky lights or any of the yellows or the reds that are popping up. And one of my team members just like kind of hit their head on the, on the desk and went like this. And I said, what's wrong? And they said, I can't learn any of these tools well enough to really know if it's if it's effective. Yeah. And that's when it, it just hit me. And I said, we need to simplify. Consolidation is something that I think is going to help us optimize our IT and security capabilities and be able to do that so that not only are the teams that are supporting them not getting burned out, the 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 spend is less. You're dealing with less licenses that you have to renew. Think about it when a license expires and it's like, and no one knew about it. And then something stops working yeah. and that takes hours and hours to figure out, oh, wow, what just happened? Oh, that license expired that we didn't even know about on yeah. something that we forgot we were relying on. Right. I mean, there's so many different examples of that. So I think that consolidation um, and that optimization is something that is going to be at the forefront of every CISO, CMIO, CIO, CTO conversation as we head forward into 2023. And I touched a little bit about preventative medicine, right? Or prevent preventative cybersecurity practices. And really, when you stop to think about those preventative measures, right? There are so many things that 
that we have done over the last decade, even even um, the last 20 years or so, of being able to create some really amazing things that we can do to detect and respond and help us recover from, from those cyber attacks. But we need to think you know, a little further, we need to shift that, that mindset a little bit further left now and think about, well, what could we do to stop it to begin with, right? And that takes that people process and, and technology to come together to do that. And so I think that that's where more and more organizations, cybersecurity has a seat at the table, their voice is being heard, they are part of every conversation. Security is, is now able to be seen as a value add for the organization instead of this standalone group of people that sits in the corner with their hoodies on. Right. Am I right? Yeah. You know, they're effectively the protectors of your business going forward. You know, when you think about that optimization simplification, that's something that we hear continuously now. Uh, You know, this Mm -hmm. is, it's 2020, it's late 2022. Now this episode's probably gonna release in early 2023, but for anyone out there listening, um, I think it's clearly obvious that, the you know the United States or the global economy is heading in a different direction. It's uncertain at best, and there's going to be more businesses. They're going to look to make investments that are cost effective. They're going to they got to save me something. They got to save me something. And mm-hmm. when it comes to that connectivity or simplification of integration of tools, that is going to be a priority because I think you're right. CISOs are going to look at them like, well, it costs me so much to maintain this. Right. You know, you can tell me it's best to hear it. You can A is B. A can be best. B can be best. But the cost to connect A and B sucks. Like, I can't deal with it. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna want. <laughs> no, you're right. And, and it's not just the cost, though. I, I, I want to focus on the burnout factor of the humans yeah. that are there to support all of that. Yes. And when I was on that panel, this, the, the clinicians were talking about the burnout in, in the healthcare space, right? They were talking about, you know, with the pandemic, right? The nurses, the doctors, everyone else there. Absolutely. So overworked, underpaid, tired, um, you know, trying to save lives, doing all the things that, that you know, in, in, in their heart and everything that they, that they came to work to do. And it's the same thing for the cybersecurity and the IT folks. You know, we just want to make the world a safer place, right? And, and we yeah. want to make sure that people live their best lives and that's how we can really work together in this space. And I do think that in the sense of that consolidation, if you will, part of that does help alleviate that burnout. Absolutely. You know, we, we need more people in, in every single industry, right? We've talked a lot about cybersecurity talent shortage. Um, you know, when, when you hear these stories, I mean, who in their right mind would want to go ahead and, you know, join a cybersecurity <laughs> team if you're going to be up, you know, 24-7, 365, you know. I, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, right? Yeah. There, there has to be something there, and and I know that every every person that that I share my story with, that this is just where I, you know, at the intersection of healthcare and IT and cybersecurity is where I found my purpose. So this this is something that resonates with me. The you know the number one goal of cybersecurity is human safety. Page six of your CISSP, <laughs> and. You know, think about that in in terms of all of the other um, industries that are out there, right? The clinicians, right? Their their number one goal, of course, is is the the best outcome for their patients' lives, right? Keeping them healthy, um, keeping them comfortable, whatever stage that they're at. Um, you know, financial sector, you know, they they want to help protect people's um, investments in their future and help people live their, their best lives, their livelihood there, you know, livelihood and lives. You hear the theme here, you know, it's our lives. The same theme. Yeah. So no doubt about it. Well, Cindy, it was awesome having you on our show. Thanks for sharing 
your knowledge and expertise in an area that we don't talk about, I think, enough here on the show. So we we'll look forward to having more healthcare guests in 2023. I can make that prediction come true. Um, Please do. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's something we all uh, care very much about. And like I said, it affects our lives a great deal. You know, I want to say thank you again for joining us on the show. But before you leave, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Sydney, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work, or sometimes it's kind of related. But anyways, it's a way for our audience to get to know you a little better. Are you ready? I'm ready. Go. All right. You mentioned earlier that you're an absolute road warrior, that most of your work is done in the field. How many airline miles did you log? Have you logged <laughs> the most airline miles? Have you logged oh. in one calendar year? So from January one to December thirty first in a year, you logged how many miles? Oh, your biggest year. Maybe I don't know if I could even answer that right now. I I I, I didn't start in January of this year uh, logging miles because Omicron put a nice little dent in that. Yeah, yeah. But since yeah. the middle of February, I can say that I've probably. Been on the road all of but four weeks, and wow, my, my status on one of the airlines that starts with a D and ends with an A um, <laughs> is is pretty good. Uh, it, <laughs> <laughs> so it does help um, to get those little perks that make life a little more comfortable when you're traveling at thirty three thousand feet. There you go. What's a travel tip you have for someone who might be about to embark on a role that puts them in the air quite a bit? Stay hydrated. <laughs> Stay hydrated. Cindy, thanks for again joining us for on IT Visionaries. It was fun having you on as a guest. Thanks for sharing what's happening in the healthcare sector. And we look forward to seeing you uh, out there. Uh, for those interested, you can look her up. Just Google her name, Cindy Carter. You will see that she is speaking at many conferences to come, and I'm sure many more will get added. Um, so if you guys want to go out, check her out. Check out Checkpoint and check her out. Uh, thanks again for joining us today on IT Visionaries. <laughs>